When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Silver and Black Flashback with your host, author of the Raiders Encyclopedia, Rich Schmelter. Murph, as always, thanks so much, my friend. And thank you so much for the incredibly kind words you say about Silver and Black Flashback on your show. And also, a special shout out to Uncle Mosh for his support of Flashback. I am also so proud to be a part of this show that continues to help out so many through the One Nation Foundation that benefits Raiders-related charities. Not only does Murph, Uncle Mosh, and Swag Jeff put on the greatest Raiders podcast out there, but they also give from the heart to help others. And damn, am I proud as hell to be a part of that kind of love. Much respect, guys. And to you, Raider Nation, Wherever you root for our silver and black bad boys from, we are forever the best damn nation of fans in the world, and I cannot think of any other group of people I can proudly call my brothers and sisters united in the passion that is our Raiders. All right, my silver and black faithful. On the last episode of Silver and Black Flashback, we finished off the Raiders' 1980 regular season. And now, that means only one thing. It's playoff time, baby, 1980 style. So let's get going on the drive to pro football conquest, Raiders style, meaning tough, badass punishment dished out against three AFC opponents and then on to Super Bowl 15 to beat the crap out of some poor NFC bastards. Three days after Christmas in 1980, it was playoff time once again in Oakland and Ken Stabler was getting ready to take the field. However, after a decade of greatness as quarterback of the Silver and Black, Snake Stabler was now wearing the colors of the Houston Oilers. The old saying that a person can never go home again did not hold true in Stabler's case, as he took the field in an attempt to advance his new team one step further in the playoffs, starting with this AFC wildcard game. The Houston Oilers made it to the AFC championship game following the two previous seasons but fell short to the Pittsburgh Steelers both times. In 1980, Houston traded for a true winner in Stabler and felt that with his pinpoint passing and calm demeanor, the Oilers could rise to the top of the pro football world and throw in the incredible, ground-pounding talents of the NFL's top running back in Earl Campbell and head coach Bum Phillips had the makings of an almost invincible offensive attack. And to add some extra punch to this already loaded offense, the Oilers acquired X-Raider tight end Dave Casper. The Houston Oilers also did some final shopping in the Oakland area by obtaining hard-hitting safety Jack the Assassin Tatum to add some bone-jarring punch to the defense. With all the pieces in place, the Houston Oilers and their fans got through the regular season with an 11-5 record which was good for second place in the AFC Central Division behind the Cleveland Browns. Houston's first step to Super Bowl XV began against the Raiders inside the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. 
And before this game, Raider fans remembered all the great moments Stabler provided, and they gave him a fantastic ovation. When the game started, however, the Oakland faithful directed their attention toward the future with a Raider victory being the objective. The Oakland Raiders defensive unit knew Stabler very well and used it to their advantage throughout this game. They applied constant pressure on him, sacking him seven times and intercepting two of his passes, with Lester Hayes coming up with both on a day that saw the Raiders put forth one of their greatest offensive efforts ever. Despite the pressure, Stabler still managed to put together a good game, hitting on 15 of 26 passes for 243 yards. In the first quarter, cornerback Mike Davis recovered an Earl Campbell fumble on the game's first offensive play. Chris Barr turned that mistake into a 47-yard field goal to give the Raiders a 3-0 lead. And by the end of the quarter, Campbell redeemed himself by scoring on a one-yard run to put the Oilers up 7-3. And that proved to be all the excitement for the Houston Oilers fans on this day as the Raiders scored the go-ahead touchdown in the second quarter and never looked back. Oakland got down to the Houston one-yard line thanks to a key 38-yard pass from Jim Plunkett to Kenny King. After two running plays failed to get the ball across the goal line, Plunkett took to the air and found Todd Christensen in the end zone for a one-yard score in what proved to be his first catch of the year. Two big plays helped the Raiders obtain a 17-7 lead at the beginning of the fourth quarter. On the final play of the third quarter, Plunkett found Cliff Branch for a 33-yard pickup to get the ball to the Houston 44. On the first play of the fourth quarter, Plunkett connected with Arthur Whittington, who caught the ball on the Houston 20 and went into the end zone untouched. Barr added a 37-yard field goal, and then it was Lester Hayes who dealt the crushing blow to the Oilers with five and a half minutes left by intercepting a Stabler pass and returning it 20 yards for the game's final points in a 27-7 Oakland victory. And with this lopsided win, the Raiders completed the first phase of their quest for the Super Bowl. They would now have to go on the road for the rest of the way to achieve the impossible dream. The Raiders left the warm climates of California and headed to Cleveland, Ohio to face the Cleveland Browns on a January 4th game not suited for outside activities of any type unless you were a Penguin. By game time, the temperature at Cleveland Municipal Stadium was minus 36 degrees with the wind chill, which would have made a freezer seem like a tropical paradise. But despite those bone-chilling conditions, a sellout crowd of 77,655 turned out to see their cardiac kids and their quarterback and league most valuable player, Brian Sipe, take on the Raiders in this AFC Divisional Playoff game. This game was quickly becoming a punting contest between Ray Guy and Cleveland's Johnny Evans throughout the first half, as neither team could get acclimated to the frigid weather conditions. The Browns finally broke through at the halfway point of the second quarter when defensive back Ron Bolton intercepted a Jim Plunkett pass intended for Bob Chandler and raced untouched down the sideline and into the end zone. On the extra point attempt, the snap was bad and it came in low to holder Paul McDonald. McDonald had no time to set the ball right for Don Cockroft and the kick was low. Ted Hendricks jumped up and blocked it and Cleveland led 6 to nothing. Right after Bolton's interception return, the Raiders proved undaunted and went on a 14-play, 64-yard drive 
capped off by a Mark Van Egan one-yard touchdown run with 18 seconds remaining in the first half. Chris Barr then added the extra point, and Oakland took to the warm confines of the locker room with a 7-6 halftime lead. Following the second-half kickoff, Don Cockroft gave the lead back to Cleveland with a 30-yard field goal to make the score 9-7 at the 331 mark of the third quarter. Three minutes later, the Browns tried another field goal, but holder Paul McDonald once again had problems receiving the snap. There was no time to attempt to set the ball down for Cockroft, so McDonald tried to run for the first down, but was stopped. Later in the same quarter, the hold was good, and Cockroft sent a 29-yarder through the uprights to extend the Cleveland advantage to 12-7 with 2 minutes and 40 seconds remaining in the third quarter. At 5.38 in the fourth quarter, the Raiders got their chance to ring up some more points. Two plays in particular helped Oakland on this drive. On third and four from the Oakland 26, Plunkett sent an underhand toss to Mark Van Egan, who then turned it into a gain of 13 and, more importantly, gave the Raiders a new set of downs to work with starting on their 39. Six plays later, from the Cleveland 14, Plunkett was sacked, but the Browns were hit with an offside penalty. Given the opportunity to repeat the down, Plunkett took advantage of his second chance by connecting with Kenny King for a gain of six down to the Cleveland three. Mark Van Egan capped the 12-play 80-yard drive off with his second one-yard touchdown run, and following Barr's conversion, the Raiders clung to a slim 14-12 lead. They were now ready to brace themselves for the Cardiac Kids, the nickname given to the Browns of this time due to their ability to pull out last-minute heroics. On Cleveland's first attempt at such heroics, Brian Seip fumbled on his own 25, and Otis McKinney recovered for Oakland at the 24. The Cleveland defense quickly got the ball back for Seip to work his magic with 2 minutes and 22 seconds left showing on the clock by stopping Oakland on 4th and 1 from the 15. Seip came back out with 85 frozen yards in front of him and one final stab at yet another fantastic finish, with this one getting them a ticket to the conference championship game. In eight plays, Sype took the Browns to the Oakland 14 with 56 seconds left and a brown and orange clad crowd in a complete frenzy. They saw this type of finish before, but never with so much riding on it. Facing a second and nine situation from the 13, it looked like a field goal was going to be the answer for the Browns. However, kicker Don Cockroft was suffering from a sore knee and had already missed two field goal attempts in this game. It was then that the coaching staff decided that the Browns rode on Sipes' right arm all season, so why stop believing in it now? Calling Red Right 88, a play that worked so many times before, Sipe broke the huddle and set up under center. At the snap, Sipe looked to the end zone for his future Hall of Fame tight end, Ozzie Newsom. The pass was right on target and within Newsom's grasp. With the crowd now already set to erupt, Mike Davis cut in front of the ball and intercepted it with 49 seconds left to kill Cleveland's hopes and add yet another chapter to the city's infamous sports disappointments. Cleveland Municipal Stadium fell silent, the Raiders ran out the clock, and were then headed to the warmth of California once again for a date with the San Diego Chargers in the AFC Championship game and the right to go to Super Bowl 15. 
On January 11th, 1981, the San Diego Chargers were making their first trip to a conference or league title game since 1965, and they were loaded with one of the most explosive offensive attacks in the history of professional football. The offense was nicknamed Air Coriel after head coach Don Coriel. Quarterback Dan Faust threw for a league-high 4,715 yards and 30 touchdowns. The receiving core of Kellen Winslow, John Jefferson, and Charlie Joyner became the first group from the same team to each gain 1,000 yards on pass receptions in a single season. Excitement was high as San Diego hosted their bitter rivals in front of a Jack Murphy Stadium crowd of 55,428 for the AFC Championship. This game quickly became an offensive exhibition, which was a surprise to no one. The only thing that was a surprise to San Diego fans was just how fast the Raiders got on the scoreboard. On the third play of the game, Jim Plunkett teamed up with Raymond Chester on a 65-yard touchdown pass. But undaunted, the Chargers' high-powered offense responded to Oakland's quick score with a 48-yard touchdown pass from Faust to Charlie Joyner to tie the game at 7-7. It was now Oakland's turn to answer back, and Plunkett took the ball over himself from five yards out to give the lead back to the Raiders. And two minutes later, Kenny King caught Plunkett's second touchdown toss of the game from 21 yards out to extend the Raider advantage to 21-7. And folks, it was still only in the first quarter. But throughout the second quarter, the Raiders took a commanding 28-7 lead on a Mark Van Egan three-yard touchdown run to put all Charger backers into a state of shock. Not wanting to be blown out in their own stadium, the Chargers came roaring back with an offensive barrage of their own. From the closing minutes of the first half to midway through the third quarter, San Diego put up 17 points to close the gap to 28-24 on a Faust to Joyner 8-yard pass, a Rolf Benershka 26-yard field goal, and a Chuck Muncie 6-yard run. But the Raiders remained focused and added 6 more points on two Chris Barr field goals from 27 and 33 yards out to make it a 34-24 Oakland advantage with just under 10 minutes left in regulation. The Chargers could not get any more than a field goal from the Raider defense the rest of the way, and when the clock ran out, our silver and black were going to their third Super Bowl, becoming the first team to ever get to the big game in each decade that the Super Bowl was played. The Raiders were the least likely team at the start of the playoffs to even be considered a Super Bowl contender to many outside the organization. However, from within inside the Raider empire, they believed, and this 1980 team had something to prove. With their classic us-against-the-world mentality to guide them, our Raiders earned the AFC Championship and looked ahead to the final leg of their race for gridiron supremacy. All right, my fellow Raider backers, this wraps up part three of our journey through the 1980 season and the AFC playoffs. I can't wait to get back together with every one of you for the remaining part of this series that will cover Super Bowl 15. Now, I will be taking a few weeks off from the show while Murph and the gang head off to Las Vegas for the NFL draft. And Murph, my man, 
hoist an adult beverage for me in any establishment on that glorious Las Vegas Strip. Tequila, if possible. And I can't wait to hoist a tequila with you in Canton, Ohio, when Cliff Branch finally gets his bust in the Hall of Fame. Now, at this juncture of the show, I am ready to close it out. And I know that some good friends of mine and major fans of the show, Bamba, Jim P., Matt and Bruce, are just waiting, absolutely waiting, sitting on the edge of their seats for the final sentence of another episode of Silver and Black Flashback. And here it comes, guys. Are you ready? And until the next time, we are all back together once again for another episode of Silver and Black Flashback. I say, like I always do, these words that I live by each and every damn day, Love you, Raider Nation!